has a plan. This is the Geek Confidential Podcast. Confidential Podcast. My name is Luke Kerr. Joining me today to discuss Thor Love and Thunder, Melody Eagles. Welcome, Mel. Hey, hey. Mo Walker, welcome. Glad to be here and bring in the thunder, Luke. Oh, are you now? Um, so, okay then. We are going to have you... Um, we'll see if you live up to the crowing about it. Um, quick takes on Thor Love and Thunder, starring Chris Hemsworth and Natalie Portman, Christian Bale, uh, Tessa Thompson, and Russell Crowe. Mel, what was your quick take on the film? I thought that ultimately it was a fun film. And it kind of seems to be the theme they're going with with the Thor films of trying to incorporate the comedy but also the drama at the same time and make sure that we're moving story along and I felt like this film definitely did that there were definitely some standouts I think Christian Bale's character as the villain was great he was almost unrecognizable so I thought they did a really great job doing that and Natalie Natalie Portman put in a really great performance as well but overall I did enjoy the film Mo how about you well you know I I think it one is like these uh, a lot of these phase four movies where it's the aftermath of Avengers Endgame trying to set up, you know, a threat or the new threat, the next threat in these next phases. Um, I thought that, you know, as an aftermath film, it was perfectly serviceable. I thought that it did not, to me, um, hit those high notes that we got in Thor Ragnarok. I think a lot of that has to do that. I thought that it was a little, at times a little too slapsticky, uh, too much slapstick comedy. The director of the film, uh, ta- uh, ta- Taika uh, Waititi. Ta- thank you. Taika. Ta- 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 <laughs> I'm going to have to let Mel handle. I can't pronounce anything tonight. Um, I could say it if I wasn't literally looking at it and trying to read it, but I can't read it and say it, if that makes sense. Isn't it to Taika? Taika Waititi. There we go. Yeah, Taika Waititi. Yeah. That uh, I think Taika Waititi, uh, he also directed uh, Thor Ragnarok. For me, he's most well known as uh, one of the co-creators, also uh, writers of What We Do in the Shadows on FX. And I think that if you're familiar with What We Do in the Shadows in terms of the type of comedy that they, they, they do in that show, there is a lot of that in uh, Thor, uh, Love and Thunder, which again, I, I think to me is what brings it down a notch. It's, it's one of those instances of, you know, we could have taken, we could have taken off one item or a couple jokes here and there, but overall it was fine. It was fun, but it just to me didn't live up to the standard of Thor Ragnarok. So my quick take on this is this is no Thor Ragnarok, which is one of my top five Marvel movies. Um, I have watched that movie repeatedly. For me, it is flawless joy. 
this movie falls more along in the category for me this movie falls more in the category of aquaman which is a fun film but not one that i'd ever really need to see again and that's how i feel about love and thunder uh, i'm not quite sure why we had to have the guardians of the galaxy other than the fact that we had to get thor away from the guardians of the galaxy i feel like that could have been done off screen and actually have made this a more powerful film in part because it would have given more time to dealing with Thor's feelings for Jane, which I felt like they tried to do a lot through flashbacks and technically they had to, but I definitely feel like there could have been more on the development side with Jane and Thor if we hadn't wasted so much time at the beginning with the Guardians. And I love the Guardians. The Guardians of the Galaxy is a, the the first mil- movie is also one of my top 5 films. Apparently I'm giving away a top 5 list here. Um but like Mel said, it was a fun film like Mo said. It's nowhere near as good as Thor Ragnarok. Let's dive into it though. The premise of this is that we have Christian Bale played gore basically going around the pantheon of different gods and killing them off one by one whether that is gods for um, peoples in south america whether that is uh nordic gods whether that is gods from other realms he is doing it because when he at one time he prayed to a god to save his daughter's life the daughter died and then He ended up in this oasis with the god, and the god was like, I don't care about your kid. And there was a sword that has very dark origins and is a god killer. And the sword appeared to him, and he slayed the god. And the premise of this film is he's now going through slaying gods, and as he does so, the it basically infects affects him, rots him, um, and his pers- and who he is. And so he is trying to wipe out all of the gods. Mel, you are much better at giving a one-minute recap of something. If you are going to do a quick recap of this, of uh, Thor, Love and Thunder, how would you, what would you say? Okay. <laughs> of the full film, I would say... The film opens with Gore the God and his daughter. They're starving. They're dying of thirst. Um, We don't exactly know what's happening. Sadly, the daughter dies. They've been praying to a God. The Gore finally meets the God, and the God doesn't care. And, well, that doesn't sit well with Gore. So he ends up killing the God because of the Necrosword that appears. Um, and he becomes influenced by the Necrosword to go on and kill every god there is because he's mad as hell that his daughter died. So that I can understand. So eventually we get to Thor because Thor is a god. Thor, who in the meantime, in between time, has been running off with the Guardians of the Galaxy, um, basically pulling missions like Grand Theft Auto, um, slaying the galaxy. One of his friends is hurt. She warns him of the God Slayer and enter Gore the God. So now he shows up in, on Earth. Everything's going crazy. But 
there's some kind of unfinished business here because in the Thor movies, the main character is a main love interest is Jane and we haven't seen her in a while. And it turns out the reason we haven't seen her is because she's extremely ill. She has stage four cancer and she's dying. So she's trying to figure out a way to save her. The medicine's not working. So then she gets the idea of, Oh, Thor, Mjolnir, maybe if I could get a hold of it or something, it, it could save me. So she eventually goes down to New Asgard, which is now, for all intents and purposes, a tourist attraction. It's a theme park. There's tours and all kinds of craziness. She finds the remnants of Mjolnir. It calls to her, and she turns into the mighty Thor. When By the time Thor gets back to New Asgard, Gore's there. He's raising hell. Jane is fighting. He doesn't know what's going on, so... We do a little backstory with them, you know, more about their love story and all these things. And the fight gets real. Gore ends up capturing all the children of Asgard, takes them off to the void in space. There's a special name for it, and I can't remember it right now. And Thor has to save them. And the rest of the film is just about Thor, Jane, uh, Korg, and everybody else trying to save the children of Asgard. They come up with the idea of, okay... We need more power. Let's go to Zeus, played by the gladiator, Russell Crowe. So I thought that was a good nod. I didn't uh, even recognize him, but keep continue. We'll get to that later. <laughs> I thought that was awesome. They end up getting into a battle with Zeus. They steal his thunderbolt because they needed to save the children. They eventually make it to the void in space, wherever it is. Somebody please correct me. Um, they have the final battle with Gore. They end up winning. They save the children. And now we have to find our way into the next part of Thor, which eventually ends up being in the post credit scene of Hercules. So we're going more into the uh, Greek mythology and things like that. But And sadly, Jane dies. Yeah, that's pretty and much. And she basically sacrifices herself so that... Well, she doesn't sacrifice herself because she's already she was dying. dying but she basically assured Gore mm-hmm. that her do- his daughter would be taken care of, and so he ended up wishing for the daughter to come back. Yeah. And so na- the film ends with Thor raising his daughter. Right. Let's dive in. I don't know about you guys, but from the trailers, I knew that Jane was going to be in it. But from where Thor had ended things before with the Guardians of the Galaxy, I was expecting this to be a Guardians of the Galaxy-Thor hybrid, much the way that Thor and the Hulk became a hybrid film. Did any of you guys have that expectation, or am I the only one? I felt like the Guardians would have had more of a role, given that... Where we left things with Thor and the guard, essentially joining the Guardians, more or less at the end of Avengers Endgame. But I knew once they started talking about Gore and they talked about Jane Foster Thor, that they were going to be doing more of the. What essentially is taking two parts, two of the major story arcs in the Jason Aaron Thor run, which is Gore the God Butcher and the the. Uh, Jane Foster Thor arc and putting them together. Now, in my mind, I was thinking that 
a lot of those beats in terms of the character development and so forth was very similar. Gore, actually, I think, and I haven't read all of that Jason Aaron run, but from what little I've read, especially the the gore portion, it's much simpler what we got in terms of his his plot against Asgard and the other gods and uh, the motivation, I think, was a, mu- was a bit more uh, relatable inserting a child and so forth. The necro sword and everything more or less aligns with what we got in the comics. My biggest and probably one of the biggest things that kind of soured me on this movie is Jane Foster Thor and, and more or less how that character ended up. Uh, because in and like in the comics, uh, Jane Foster is suffering from stage four cancer every time she utilizes Mjolnir. Excuse me. She um, that stops her. That essentially in the comics, it, it like resets her body and eliminates all of the cancer treatments each time she becomes Thor and. In the movie, which is kind of weird, it says that Malnir is trying to it, it absorbs her strength, exaps her strength every time she uses it. Which it's 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 kind of weird because he literally at one part in the film, Thor more or less asks or re- enchants Malnir to protect uh, Jane Foster. Now, but granted, that's on in, accident, I, right? I yeah I I think that what yeah it was an indirect thing of course it was no no flashback sequences when there were a couple and it, granted it makes sense because it has to set up how she has access to Malnir because in the comics it was a whole other thing that caused Thor to actually lose Malnir and, and so so it makes sense in this in in terms of the continuity of the the films that we've get been getting and so forth that that all tracks my thing is again there was so much depth in that jason aaron run of of jane foster thor it went on for a long period of time and i feel like we kind of got our knees cut off a little bit by killing her off so quickly i felt like uh maybe natalie portman i was gonna say don't you think that this has a little bit to do with natalie portman because Correct me if yeah, I'm wrong. I, I mean, into. the reason why we haven't seen Natalie Portman in the MCU in the past is she wasn't too enthused about coming back for another one after the early ones, right? So, I yeah, mean, like, if was... she's come back for this specific, very iconic storyline, and she's here for a one thing, I mean... Yeah, but, but, but the thing is, is that the character, her character, there was enough meat in well, there for her to be, to portray... To be Thor, her her version of Thor, more for more than just one film, but yeah. But I think that but I think that comes to my gripe with this film. I I love the Guardians. They were pointless in this film. They did they contributed absolutely nothing to this film other than provide a very long cameo, and I feel like so much of the rest of the film would have benefited if that 10, 15 minutes of Guardians had not been in it. Say, but on the flip side, you were going to have people pissed and saying, well, there's not so much MCU, and, and how does this connect to the greater MCU if we don't but, have but the I Guardian? Don't, but I, I, 
So for me as a viewer, I don't have that because the way I look at it is everybody and their mother knows that Thor is an MCU film. There have been any number of films where the explanation for someone disappearing in one film and popping up in another one is written off with one sentence or two, but it's it's explainable. There's no reason why that couldn't have happened with the Guardians, at least in my opinion. They're like, yes, I would have loved to have seen them, but I was I wanted a movie in which Thor and the Guardians were actually doing stuff together, not a movie where Thor the slob basically uses his weapon to come in and save the day because the Guardians are not actually very competent. It was a wasted 10 to 15 minutes of the film that could have been used to further both Jane and Thor's storyline. And I think that there could have like been more depth. The thing about Thor Love and Thunder, or not Thor Love and Thunder, Thor Ragnarok, is that there's a lot of depth to that film as a foundation for all the comedy and absurdity that takes place in it. We had a film here, at least in my opinion, where we're dealing with a cancer storyline, and this film had less depth than Ragnarok. Mel, what did you think of how the film played out, and what stood out for you? Both Mo and I have shared ours. What stood out, good or bad, for you about this film? Okay. Good or bad about this film? I do feel like this film did a great job of focusing on relationships of the relationship between Thor and Jane, the relationship between Thor and his home planet of Asgard a new Asgard and the relationship between, you know, a father and a daughter, just things like that. And I felt like that was the key of this film is making sure you take care of the people that you love and make sure you cherish them. You know, like that was kind of, the overall thing for me. And I, I like that they focused on that. I, I enjoy the comedy of this film. Cause I feel like if any film is going to do in the MCU, it's going to have to be this one. And some of it was silly. They could have cut back on some, but eh, it, it was okay. Like I didn't, I, I don't have an overall terrible problem with that. Um, what's not working for me in this film the Guardians were okay. I understood why we had to have them because they needed a vehicle to get Thor back in space to be working his missions. Okay, that part I get. But what really wasn't working for me is that I felt like it had a couple of holes of where was this character, what were they doing, and why can't they help? Um, but, I mean, you know, like I said, overall, I did enjoy it. Was there any performances that you thought were um, particularly good or particularly bad? Oh, I think Christian Bale did an awesome job. Like, he knocked it out of the park. It took me a while in the beginning to realize, is that Christian Bale? And it was. uh, As Gore, I thought he played his villain role extremely well. Um, Absolutely believable. I thought Natalie Portman did a great job too but she's a great actress um i don't i didn't think we needed as much of korg as we had and it it already wasn't enough but it was sorry it already wasn't a lot but it was still too much like we don't we need you in the background just saying something here every now and again but you don't need to be a main character okay we don't we don't need all that 
So he I does was not like, need to be Thor's Groot. Is basically what it comes down to. Yeah, I can agree with that. I was like, we this might be a little too much of this character. Now you have a babies. I don't need all that. That's unnecessary. Um, I did like. I thought the kids did a good job because they focused on the children. Um, the one that was Heimdall's son, I thought he did a good job. So those are my performances. Mo, how about you for performances? So uh, again, I I second what Mel was saying about Christian Bale as Gore the God Butcher. I mean, it's Christian Bale, so he truly this is an actor who has a history of really immersing himself into a character to the point where he is barely unre- he's barely recognizable. I do want to uh, shout out for uh, Natalie Portman. I think that her sliding back into this role of Jane Foster at, at this place in the continuity of these MCU films, particularly when, you know, given she was gone for an entire Thor film, they had to do, they had to fill in like a backstory for her. I think that her, there, there was this fun and this energy about her when she was Thor that you know was a joy to see and and i think to me that that helped me kind of accept that this backstory for them about their whole love affair between thor odin's son and and jane foster and again i i will also uh like this i think that you know again the, the children that they cast did a pretty good job as well as especially you mentioned Heimdall's son. I don't even recall until this moment, until we got to this film, there it was any mention of Heimdall's son. So um, it, I'm, I'm actually interested in maybe hopefully that, that character will come back regarding Korg. Well, you know, obviously we know why Korg is in there. You know, if, if, if you've got, you've got to blame the director because, you know, the d- director. For Mark wants... Jacobs, by Mark Jacobs, starring Mark <laughs> Jacobs. I know. <laughs> I just so... feel like directors. How do I put this? I just sometimes wish they would direct. Waititi is a brilliant, brilliant person. Thor Ragnarok was amazing. But do we really need him to be a voice of a character? I feel like that's just ego. Do we need it? Why can't he just direct? He does um, he has amazing visions for most things. Why the distraction of of voice acting? Cuz he felt like I don't know. <laughs> it's narcissism like it just is. Well, I was going to say, well, actually, it's a, it's a, I, you know, I can't speak on the whole narcissism, but I will say that it is a it's a signature. Uh, it's a staple in like films and TV shows that he projects that he's involved in. He does tend to show up as a character or voicing a character or whatnot. Um, and that's fine if it's kept at a minimum, but there's no reason why Korg needs to have that much of a role. Well, I'm wondering, you know, because because to me, like, I and again, not that I'm 
overly versed in Thor comic mytho- Marvel Thor comics. But I think that they're trying to more or less because they've killed off a lot of the traditional comic book supporting cast with the uh, with the exception of Lady Sif and even that character was more or less sidelined in this film. I mean, really, more or less her only... The only thing she got to do was just to lose an arm to Gore. That's basically all that she had to do in this film. And that Korg, you know, helps beef up that Thor-supporting cast. So so I can kind of understand why... But does why... he need it? I mean, look at, uh, look at Strange... His supporting cast is very thin too, and he does perfectly fine. Well, again, I think it goes back to Thor. I think one of the things that we liked in the first films was it really was that. Wait, wait, wait. Let's be very specific here when you talk about the first films because that Dark well, Elf movie was shit. No, no, no. Okay. Well, I'm talking about the, the one, and I'm not talking about plot, but I'm talking about the Thor-Loki relationship. Okay. I that will... was... A... Yeah. I, like, if you're a... talking about the relationship between the brothers, that's wonderful. But yeah, that that's... that Dark Elf movie, whatever that one was called, I don't remember it off the top of my head, that was a terrible movie. It is one of my all-time least favorite movies. So when you just blanket say what we loved about the early films, I'm like, let's let's be very specific. Okay, Lord Luke. <laughs> I got to go Daytime but, Confidential here. Let's be very specific about our requests, is what we say on Daytime Confidential when it comes to writing and things. Let's be very specific about which ones we actually love. Well, but but the Thor-Loki relationship was, again, one of those quintessential relationships in those early, in those not just those early Thor films, but those early, like even in Avengers, that I think really helped people relate and um and be relate to the character and and beyond you know especially you know for those who you know loved you know Chris Hemsworth pecs you know but beyond that I think that that relationship was key now you lost you've lost that relationship now and so Korg kind of fills in that gap not obviously on that bro- that brother that dynamic but as you know a best friend uh a confidant and so forth just kind of trying to you know fill in the gaps where, where they where they can and and so that, that there's also this whimsical nature about korg as well that you kind of at times got with loki as well i don't agree but I don't consider Loki to be whimsical. I think I consider Loki to be nefarious and manipulative. Korg is just dumb. But that's my perspective. Like, once again, I loved him in Thor Ragnarok. I thought he provided wonderful laughs. But I do agree with Mel. There was too much of him in this film. Okay. Let's talk about the thing that took me by surprise. I did not realize that Russell Crowe was Zeus. This is a cameo that Mel touched on earlier and mentioned. Um, Mel, 
What did you think? So, as they were saying, okay, we have to go see Zeus. Um, you know, we need his thunderbolt. We need his power. And I was in the theater, and I was like, I wonder if it's going to be Russell Crowe. Because, you know, The Gladiator was the movie. It's like one of my dad's favorite movies. So, I was like, hmm, I wonder. And sure enough, it was him. And he put on the show because he can't help himself. So I did enjoy seeing Zeus show up as Russell Crowe. And he has to be this larger than life character because he's Zeus. You know, he's the the king of the gods. So I thought that was fun and a good nod to, you know, mythology and keeping in that kind of fairy tale, whimsical kind of thing they were doing in this film. And the fact that they actually defeated Zeus. I didn't think that was going to happen. Like, I thought they were just going to pull uh, okie doke and get what they needed and run on out of there, but no, nah, they they did pretty good. Put up a fight. So, I thought that was interesting, too. And it set up more story later on. So, Listen, my favorite part of the movie was Zeus derobing Thor. That was my favorite part <laughs> of the whole thing. Uh, Mo, what did you think of Russell Crowe as uh, Zeus? Yeah, I mean, I think it was perfect casting. I think that um, it's clear that Russell Crowe had a lot of fun in this. Uh, Again, another example of someone who portrayed a uh, secondary tertiary character in a DC film moving over to the MCU. It makes um, a lot of sense that they would use this opportunity to bring about other pantheons. As Mel mentioned, it sets up something in the post credit sequence um, introducing a, another character who is an important part of the Avengers mythos from the comics and is a good foil for Thor, especially particularly in the comics. Um, and, you know, Thor 5, as they said in, at the end of the uh, credits, Thor will return. So, uh, I, yeah, I'm looking forward to more uh, other pantheons, War of the Gods type thing coming in a future fi- Thor film. Final thoughts before we get to our ratings. Mel, final thoughts? Final thoughts. Um, I, I see the place this one has in our journey in the MCU. And I just want everybody to remember that phase four is a restart. Okay. Compare phase four to phase one. I know there's a lot of things that don't always make sense, but they will later. You just have to have patience. I feel like we are getting a lot of post-credit cliffhangers because mm-hmm. didn't Garden, Guardians of the Galaxy have a massive character that was revealed in the post-credits? Um, and now we have this one in Thor. I feel like they're basically doing post-credit revelations to to as not quite flashbacks, but maybe fat flash forwards in terms of what the fans should expect. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I just noticed that we're getting a lot of it. Uh, Mo, final thoughts. So, no, so wait a minute. You mean, did you mean the Eternals instead of Guardians of the Galaxy? Because no, they're. I'm what? talking about, because wasn't it? No, I'm talking about Guardians of the Galaxy too, because didn't they have. Oh, oh. Adam Warlock. Yes. Were, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. So, so I was thinking because, again, they set up another. Thanos-related character at the end of the post-credit sequence for the Eternals, who also ties into a lot more of these 
Avengers who are spacefaring Avengers who also has ties to the Guardians. Um, so that's so that's true. I mean, that, that is yeah. definitely true. The one I was thinking about though was Warlock. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, you know, as, as Mel said, you know, clearly, you know, this is a transitionary film. We are getting a- aftermath of the the previous phase. I think that, and this is an interesting thing that I've noticed with these subsequent MCU uh, films and even the television shows is that characters like Thor, um, Doctor Strange, and Hawkeye, they're all transitioning into these mentor and father figure roles. And and so maybe they're seeing the consequences of things that have happened previously and that they feel that they need to take on um, much more of a leader slash father figure role. And we're going to get that as well with Bruce Banner once She-Hulk debuts as well. So I just, just uh, it's just an interesting thought that I've had about kind of how they're positioning some of these older MCU characters. Ratings. Mel, what would you give it? Uh, 3.8. Mo? I'll go a tad lower, 3.5. Well, I'm going lower, 3. Um, that Damn. Is, well, but 3 is still better than average. I mean, so I don't feel bad about it. Three is still better than average at 2.5. On that note, <laughs> we'd encourage you to comment on this episode at Geek Confidential or in the forums at on Facebook, the for, uh, Facebook group that is there. You can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash gkconfidential. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash gkconfidential. You can find me on Twitter at Luke underscore Kerr. Mel is at Melody Akles and Mo is at Dr. Mo 77. We thank you for listening. Until next time, so long. Bye, yeah. everybody. Thank <laughs> you.